in the house of God. It's very important today. So how we behave in the house of God, what we believe is not really based on our opinion, but on what the Word of God says or what God's viewpoint is. Many times uh, in the doctrines that we preach and how we preach, I'm not preaching from my opinion. Uh, I try to remind you of that if I do give you an opinion. But I preach it from God's viewpoint or God's opinion. That's the opinion that matters. Now, if we found our place, I believe it to be important that we again start in verse 1 on 2 Timothy chapter 1 and read down to our text verse, which will be verse 12. Now, why is because he introduces us to a thought in verse 1 that we need and I will probably build upon uh, here in this message where we're talking about eternal life. Now, I don't know how much time you've spent pondering or meditating upon that subject, eternal life. Matter of fact, uh, I hope that you have spent some time uh, meditating on eternal life or what we call the gift. What is the gift of salvation? Have you heard that phrase before? Uh, well, have you received the, the gift of salvation or, or salvation is a free gift? Well, what actually is the gift? Well, I believe we will find that today. We'll let the Bible answer that. Now, because I'm a spoiler <laughs> and I always ruin the ending, you don't want to ever try to watch a movie with me or something because I'll probably tell you what happens in the end, especially if I've watched it before. I just can't seem to keep my mouth shut about it. So that gift, the gift is eternal life. The free gift is eternal life. Salvation is an act that God does because of His grace when we accept Him and believe Him and re believe His report and receive Christ into us. But the gift He gives us, He gives us many, but this promise, the gift, is he actually eternal life. I don't know if you've ever meditated about that, thought about that. I know I've heard the phrase, it's a free gift. Well, good. I, I like free gifts. What is it? <laughs> Let's find that out today. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the... Now, here's our phrase. I, this is why I start here. The promise of life, which is in... Christ Jesus. Very simple words. We're dealing with sixth grade English. So he says, this promise of life is in Christ Jesus. If you're saved this morning, you are in Christ. You make up his body, part of the body. We call that the church. The church is not the building. I'm not referring to that right now. We call it a church. It's a building. I'm talking about saved believers, saved baptized believers. All right? And he says, the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. Now, I believe I need to comment on this. I was reading this this week, and I didn't comment on it last week. You're not going to get the mercy of God till you experience the grace of God. You're not going to get the peace of God until you've experienced the mercy of God and the grace of God. It works in that order. It's not in that order by accident. A lot of people searching for peace today. Uh, they, they need peace. Their minds are in turmoil. You need peace. You've got to have an experience 
It's the grace of God. The grace of God is salvation. Then it brings you to the mercy of God. God is going to spare you from what you actually deserve. And that brings you to the peace of God. And then he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that thou or that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, we preached on that last week. What is an unfeigned faith? How do you get it? Uh, what does that mean? What's the Bible talking about where he says your faith is not fake? He said this because there's many people that claim to have a faith and God is telling you straight up they're fake. I've preached on that. I won't get into that this morning. But we did preach on that, an unfeigned faith. That is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Remember, I gave you the gold nugget, the free one. This preacher knew that Timothy was saved. Not only did he know that Timothy was saved, he knew his mother was saved and his grandmother was saved. People run around and say, well, you don't know if somebody's saved or not. Really? That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. You can tell. And you say, well, how can you tell? Well, with the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 4, about verse 12, that the Bible, the Word of God is quick and powerful. Uh, and, and he says it's able to discern. That discern means it, it can see into you. And it can discern the joints and marrows. It can discern the spirit. It can discern the soul. Very powerful weapon that we have. And then he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He's referring to the ordination and, and, and the gift of God uh, of, of preaching. And then uh, when you ordain a minister, you put your hands on him. Uh, and that's just how it's done biblically. He says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. You need to have that underlined in your Bible. That many times you will experience fear. He didn't say you wouldn't experience fear. He just says it doesn't come from God. So if you're afraid or you have problems with fear or anxieties, it's not coming from God. And he says, but of power. That's what God gives you, the spirit of power and the spirit of love. You have problems loving? Well, that's, there's a problem there. He says, and of a sound mind. You have a problem with your mind? Is it sound? Uh, we're talking about sound doctrine. And if you want a sound mind, then you need to be rooted in sound doctrine. But not thou, or be not thou therefore ashamed. Now, I didn't get into this last week. And this is some of the results of an unfeigned faith. I mean, if I'd have been actually really polished... And I'll confess this on myself. If I'd have been really, 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 really polished, I probably would have given you two or three more points on the results of the unfeigned faith. I didn't. I just gave you the seeing. Uh, I gave you the sickening. And I gave you the seeking. Uh, uh, those were three simple points on, uh, on a, real, uh, a real faith. But here's the results. One of the results of an unfeigned faith would be you're not ashamed of Christ publicly he's talking about he says you're not uh, therefore be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our lord nor of me his prisoner 
But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. He clarifies that up. You're not getting saved by any good things you're doing. But according to his own purpose, we're saved by the purpose of God and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Yeah, nothing sneaks up on God. He says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now he is getting back to what he had stated in verse 1 about the promise of life. It's an important thing when you read your Bible and study that you do not forget your context. You need to actually be 3D or put yourself in the story as if he was actually talking to you there in the moment. And he's referring to that phrase, the promise of life. And he says, this has been given to us by Christ and Christ abolished death. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had uh, made uh, and, and got a, a rot, that's the word I want, a great victory. Death could not hold him down. That had never been done. And by the way, it can only be done if he was God. And for the mere fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves, I don't care what YouTube videos tell you, that Jesus is God. Uh, I don't know why my news feed this, this week has been on uh, uh, people challenging people. There is not one verse of the Bible that declares that Jesus is God. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't know if your guys' news feed was like that, but mine was. And you got these people up there, and they're saying, yeah, there's no Bible. I'm a better Christian than you, uh, but, but with, he don't believe that Jesus is God. And I'm thinking, well, I was amazed in the 25 verses of Scripture that he quoted, he never quoted 1 John 5, 7. There's one verse that says, uh, uh, let, me, let me give it to you and let me read it because I don't want to misquote it. But I immediately thought of this verse. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that's capital because that's personification, which goes with John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's one verse. And then he tells you, he describes who the Word was. He says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. But then he says, the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are, what? Say it with me. One. There's one verse in the Bible that says that Jesus is God. There's a whole bunch more. But uh, you say, well, what was that? Was that guy's opinion? No, I'll tell you what that was. That was a devil. That was a man who was controlled by a demonic spirit who is trying to push antichrist is what he was doing. And boldly, by the way, and challenging people. And of course, the people, they didn't know their Bible because that was the first verse that popped in my head. And by the way, that man never quoted any of the Pauline epistles in the Bible. And I know why. They don't acknowledge them. They don't like it. So he's challenging you to quote one verse of Scripture that says that Jesus is God. But then when you quote him one, he'll say, no, excluding this part of the Bible. 
Well, we can all play that game, can't we? <laughs> I can make it say anything if I want to exclude certain parts of the Bible I don't like. Demonic, demonic. Verse 11, whereunto I am an appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Here's our verse for the day. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He says that again. For I know, I love this. I, if, you're, if you've got a pen, an ink pen, or a highlighter, write, just mark that. I know. You can know that you're saved. You can know you have eternal life. It's not a guess. It's not a hope so. Don't let somebody or some devil try to tell you, well, you just don't know that. Uh, I went north a few weeks back and I was bombarded with people that were so proud in the fact that they said, well, you just don't know. I don't know that I'm saved. Of course, I give them that dad look. I didn't say anything out loud, but I was thinking you're a special kind of stupid, aren't you? Say, you shouldn't think that way. No, probably shouldn't. That's why I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> that was my first gut reaction. Because they were sitting in a Bible-believing church that I know three of those senior pastors, those pastors there, and they're better Bible preachers and teachers than I am. But he's sitting there convinced he don't believe in eternal life. Nobody can know. Begin to eat on me. I don't know why. He was a nice guy. I, I think he was actually just testifying to the truth. He didn't know. That's okay. For him, not for me. Um, he doesn't not know because the Bible's not clear on it. That's what I want to get to today. He says, Paul said, I know whom I have believed. You better know who you believed in. And I'm persuaded. That means he knows. I mean, he's 100% persuaded that he is able. Now, who's the he? That is a third-person pronoun. Well, he's already given you the descriptor back here in verse 8, where he says, the, where he suffered, he was a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You see, that's a semicolon there. So he defined the third-person pronoun he. And so what he's referring back to, again, I said, it's got to be, you, you got to keep your context. You got to understand what uh, you're reading. And he says, he is able to keep that which I have committed. What was, what did he commit to God? His soul. Unto him against that day. Verse 13, let's read it for good measure. Hold fast the form of sound words. Eternal security are sound words. Now let us pray and let's get into this message and see if God will let me preach it a little bit. But I want you to walk out of here today, not that I think that anybody doubts eternal life, but I want to help persuade you even more that you have eternal life and according to that one verse, you're not the one keeping it. God is. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you, we love you today. Lord, help us as we look at the Scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit guide us. If there be any lost, if there be any unsure of their eternal destination, let them be illuminated with the light of the glorious gospel today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I believe that eternal life is a very important doctrine in the Word of God. 
And I, I wanted to preach the things that he talks about and discusses in this second book of Timothy. By the way, when you get to be, when you begin to preach about sound doctrine, you understand that there, there would be a whole lot of topics that we could get on. Uh, and, but I just kept it to this, this one book that he give to this pastor. Another preacher might get up and say, well, sound doctrine is this, and show it to you from the Word of God, and he would be rightly so. Uh, the doctrine of propitiation is a sound doctrine. The doctrine of justification is a sound doctrine. The doctrine of sanctification is a sound doctrine. They're in the Word of God, and they're very clear in the Word of God, but we won't be preaching on them. We're going to preach what we find here in this book, or we'd be on this topic until Christ comes. But sound doctrine is sound words, and eternal life is a very important doctrine that he says in the last days, people would not endure that sound doctrine. That's why he's talking about it. That why, that's why he is laying it down and says, No, I am persuaded that he, God, is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What day is that? The rapture! People run around in this neck of the woods and say, well, the, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about the catching away of the saints or the rapture. The rapture's not a, a Bible word. That's because you're not understanding the Bible. He says, God keeps us until the day, that day. What day? The catching away of the saints. That's the day. You say, well, you've just inserted that in there. <laughs> Well, maybe it's because I've studied it out and that's the day he's talking about when he's in the context of the believer in the church, which is the body of Christ. He's not talking about the battle of Armageddon. He's not talking about creation. He's not talking about uh, the battle of Gog and Magog. He's not talking about the second coming when God comes back on a white horse. You got to find out what day he's talking about the rapture we need to hold fast this doctrine because he said people would begin to not want to endure it they want to sit in ignorance and they want to sit and say well you just don't know and here's one of the things i've learned about people that want to tell you that nobody can know if you have eternal life or not is because their life is gray they want to live in sin they're, they're making excuse for themselves. But the Bible is clear on it in so many verses. Back in my office, I have a paper of no less than 102 or 103 Scripture references on this very topic alone in the Bible. You'll find a person that does not believe in eternal security not able to give you a verse of Scripture on that. They can give you an ideal, they can give you a thought, they can give you a philosophy, but not scripture. People, they don't believe in eternal security because they're ignorant on what the Bible teaches. And they're going to fall away and they're going to give heed to a doctrine of a devil. It is devils and the devil himself that would not want you to have the peace that passeth all understanding. It is the devil and his satanic forces that would want you to doubt your salvation or eternal life. 
Paul was persuaded that he had eternal life. The gift of salvation is eternal life. We've seen that. Let me give you another verse on that. I, I, like, I view verses of Scripture as witnesses, individual witnesses. I also view Scripture, and you need to view it this way, it's pieces of jigsaw puzzles, and you must put them together. The Bible should mesh together, not against each other, but a, mesh together like a jigsaw puzzle to get the full picture. Romans 6.26, you are Romans 6.23, actually. I don't think there's a 26 in chapter 6 of Romans. But the children should have put this verse to memory. It's one of the verses, if you was to memorize the Romans road, which is a systematic way to lead someone to Christ. Very effective. It's okay, you don't have to use it, but it is a good system or a good method. It's linear. It starts a man out with being a sinner and that he's lost and undone. And it has the right chronological order. And then it tells him, for the wages of sin is death. Because you are a sinner, you're going to die. But then he goes, he teaches us through a contrast word. But the gift of God is eternal life. Wow. He just comes right out and says, the gift, the gift that we talk about. Have you received God's free gift? That gift is actually eternal life. That's what the Bible says. But the gift of God is, is as a descriptor, eternal life. Very powerful verse of Scripture. There's not another verse of Scripture that says otherwise. So we have eternal life today, again, I'm simple, because of the promise of God. You do not have eternal life today because of you and your good deeds and how good you are and how smart you are and how slick you are. That's not why you have eternal life. You have eternal life and I have eternal life and anybody who's born again today in the world has it based on the promise of God. That's why I started in verse 1. He says that he, uh, according to the promise of life, he's not talking about living life, he's talking about eternal life, which he says is in Christ Jesus. If you was to take your Bible, you're here in Timothy, and let me give you some other scripture. Now, in my Bible, and I don't know how it is in your Bible, it is okay to mark in your Bible, I mean, legible notes. Now, kids, don't, don't take that as a cue. You get you a crayon. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making notes. And in my Bible, I got notes here at the bottom of my page on that promise of life. That's a phrase. I had written it down years ago. And, of course, we can start in Ephesians. Now, we don't have to this morning because I'm not dealing with any problems uh, in people that think that Gentiles are not part of the same salvation that the Jews are. At one time, I, I, was, I had dealt with that in my earlier uh, years in ministry. You run into all sorts of different issues depending on your location and where you're at in the country. But go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Because we're talking about this phrase, the promise of God. We have eternal life today because of the promise of God. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie. 
Yeah, that's one of those. That's one of those immutable. That's a big word. That means unchanging. Immutable character traits of God. He cannot lie. God is not ever going to lie to you. God is not going to ever lie to me. He says, God that cannot lie promised before the world began. This promise of life is eternal life, and it's given to us and kept by the power of God. Now take your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. Now we're going to do a little uh, uh, turning today because I'd like you to see it in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 9, about verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise, they're on that promise again, of eternal inheritance. Now what did he mean by that? Well, he says your inheritance that God gives you, this free gift, it's in eternal. Now the word eternal means without end. It's never going to end. So when someone says that I don't believe in eternal life or I believe you can lose what never has an end is really circular reasoning. If you absorb and understand what that individual is saying and if they actually understand what they're saying, you're telling me that God gives you eternal life and you can lose it. God gives you what never ends, but you're saying you can end it. Now, who would that make? That'd make the individual more powerful than God, wouldn't it? You see how slick the devil can get in on somebody and begin to try to make them think they're a God and they have more power than God does? This eternal life that God gives us is kept and given to us and it's for sure forever. And Paul was persuaded, I'm persuaded, that God is able to keep it, the power of God. It's the promise of God. Here, let's go one more time, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25. And this is the promise. Again, we've just done nothing but chased this word promise through the New Testament. That he that hath promised us even eternal life. So the Bible is clear that the promise and the gift is eternal life that God gives you when you get saved. Actually, you need to begin to view your salvation as not a thing or an it. A lot of times people, they view salvation or eternal life like this. They say, uh, salvation is a gift and, and it, it, it's, it's external. And so I got it as long as I'm hanging on to it. I got it. But if I drop it, I don't have it no more. And that's how they try to describe it. Well, the, the problem with that is salvation is not an inanimate object. Salvation, the Bible says, is Christ in you. Salvation is not an it, it's a person. It's a person and He lives in you. And if God is living in you, as long as He's in you, and by the way, the Bible already says, just in case somebody's trying to jump in front of me, he's sealed 
down there. He can't get out until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. You say, well, that's just one verse, Ephesians 1 verse 13. Well, that's just two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, somewhere about verse 12. There's three verses, and there's more, where he says that he has sealed us unto the day of redemption. We have eternal life today because of the promise of God. If you're saying that you can lose this eternal life, then you're saying God is a liar. Because I've shown you clear scripture. To say that you can lose eternal life is to say that the Bible says you can lose it. To which I challenge somebody to show me that verse of scripture. I've searched many, 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 many years. It's not there. By the time I'm done with this message today, I will have given you no less than 14 clear verses of Scripture on eternal life, and you cannot lose it. To which my challenge, if we're going to be valid, and nobody's challenging this, but you do understand we have a live stream audience. There's all kinds of people that watch that. And I thank God that they do. Well, that's why I'm taking my time with this. Maybe to that the scripture can bring comfort and peace of mind and persuasion to somebody listening by live stream today. Maybe they're struggling. It doesn't mean they're not saved. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe the devil's been eating their lunch on this thing called eternal security. It can happen. It's very possible. It's very possible. But I promise you, if we listen to the testimony of Scripture, and like I said, I've included no less than 14 verses of Scripture, you will not find 14, 15, 16, 17 verses of Scripture. To the contrary, you won't find one. And if you think you found one, it's because you're not reading it right. But you will not find one in this Bible that says, if you watch TV, you lose your free gift. If you drink coffee, you lose your gift. <laughs> Boy, I can go anywhere with it. You see what you do when you begin to hold people to my opinion instead of the Bible's opinion? I could say, if you don't love your pastor right, you could lose your gift. If we, <laughs> yeah, you all know where that's going. <laughs> oh, what do you want, preacher? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There's no verse of Scripture in there that reads like that. There's not a verse of Scripture that even hints to that fact that if you do this, then you lose this. Not when it comes to salvation. Now, you might lose the peace of God. You might lose the blessing of God. You might lose the filling, but you won't lose the indwelling. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about sound doctrine. We're talking about sound words, sure foundation. When God gives man life, it's eternal life. John 3.16, I think we should know it. For God so loved the world. Now, this is one of those times you need to pay attention. You can turn over there if you want to. For God so loved the world. Let me break it down. That's past tense. Loved. E-D. That's past tense. For God so loved the world, past tense, that he gave, 
present tense, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, present tense, should not perish, future tense, but hath everlasting life. It's important that you understand your verb tenses. It's important when you read that you understand. Is he talking past tense, present tense, future tense? John 3.16 says past, present, and future. He could not promise you everlasting life in the future if you could lose it. I'd make God a liar. That verse ends there. He doesn't say hath everlasting life unless you drive a Ford. (laughs) And you can insert whatever you want there. But it's not there. You would have to add that to the Word of God. And what is the Bible said? What did God say about the dangers of adding to the Word of God and taking it away? Yeah, be careful with that. There's another verse. Go to St. John chapter 5. Now, if you have an individual that you might be dealing with, you might have family members that struggle with this, just go to book of St. John, start in John 3.16, start turning to the right. It's real easy. And if you want to, you, you can highlight them. But go to John, from John 3.16, go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. Now, you can also tag John chapter 4, verse 15, if you want to. But I'm cutting to the chase this morning because of time. It's already been a while, and I'm just on the first point. Verse 24, verily, verily. Now, that means truly, truly. I say unto you, he that heareth my word, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and believeth on him that sent me, okay, that's believing, Remember, we defined what belief means when the King James Bible uh, uses that word believe. It means you're going to pledge yourself to, you are going to willingly go along with Christ. That sent me hath everlasting life, just in case you didn't get it in John 3, 16 and John chapter 4, verse 13. He says, and shall not come, future tense, folks into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He couldn't say that if you could lose it. God is omniscient. That's one of the immutable attributes about God. That's another sound doctrine. Omniscient means He's all-knowing. That means God knows the beginning from the ending. God, there is no future with God. God's everywhere present. And God's already passed the rapture. God's already passed the tribulation. God's already passed the millennial reign. And he's telling us, when you get saved, when you believe in me, you shall not come into condemnation in the future. God's already looked all the way into the future beyond what we can hop comprehend and says, you're still going to have eternal life over there. You can't lose it. Why? Because God's keeping it. We have eternal life today because of the power of God. In our text verse there in verse 12, where he says, But I am persuaded that he is able to to, uh, keep, 
That's the power of God. When you say you can lose your salvation, you're saying God's power is not strong enough. I'm more powerful than God. My sin is more powerful than God is what you're saying. Because most people that believe they can lose it says, well, it'll be sin that makes you lose it. Well, that's funny. God dumped all the sin of the world on Jesus on the cross. They, he willingly gave his life up, was buried, and guess what? It couldn't keep him down. So sin is not more powerful than our God. Now, sin might be more powerful than Buddha and Confucius and all those other false gods. But sin is not more powerful than our Lord Jesus Christ. We're kept by the power of God. The Bible says so. But now that you're in John, go to John chapter 10. Just keep turning to the right. John chapter 10, and we got to hit the highlights. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Verse 27. And you can go to verse 26 because it's good. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now watch, he's talking about saved people. He likens them to sheep and us. And I give unto them eternal life. That's your gift that you were given when you got saved. And they shall, what does he say? Never perish. You see how simple the language is? It's so very clear. You can't interpret that any other way. He's, again, looking and projecting into the future, which is already God's past. Never perish. Neither shall any man, that any man even includes you yourself. Any man means any man. Pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man, that's even you. You say, well, maybe a woman can. <laughs> Well, women are pretty powerful. <laughs> but they ain't that powerful. Not when it comes to God. He's addressing the womankind too when he says man. He's able to pluck them. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Oh, by the way, here's another one of those verses. I and my father are one. You see how the Bible can help you discern that what maybe you're seeing on your news feed, this dude's preaching he's antichrist because he's denying that Christ, God, one of the names for Jesus was Emmanuel. You want to know what Emmanuel means? God with us. That's Jehovah God with us. That's what 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, that God, Jehovah, was manifested in the flesh. Why do you say it like that? Because the Bible says that God, the Father, is a spirit. No man's seen a spirit. You want to see God? Then you, Jesus Christ is God, manifested in the flesh. Now, I'm not preaching on the Trinity, but that's part of sound doctrine, too. So we're kept not by you. And, and some of you, and I need to throw this in here. Just because I think somebody might be lost doesn't make them lost. Psalm 
Sometimes people can get one over on the preacher. I'm human. But you can't get one over on God. And if you know you've done the right kind of business with God, this is God's promise to you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know you're saved. You can't lose it. There's not a sin that you can commit that would make you lose it. Now, I'm going to add a tag on that because the Bible adds a tag on that. You need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God says you start sinning after you're born again and defiling the temple that I'm living in, which your body is the temple, I'll destroy you. Now, you better pray to God does that real quick and not over a long time because I've seen it go both ways. But you won't sin and live in sin as a truly born-again person and God not chasing you. Now, I wanted, I emphasized this first here. I'm getting ready to give you my third point. I've, I've been a little long. You see where he said, my sheep hear my voice? A lot of times what people say that someone lost it, the Bible says, no, they never had it. Because God says his sheep, they hear his voice and they follow and they believe. You got a person who said they might have got saved one time, but then you say they lost it because they're living like the devil and nothing ever happens to them. They just, they're just great. I'm telling you the Bible straight up said, no, they never had it to begin with. They're that part of the fake ones that said, Lord, Lord. They prayed, they did the stuff, they did works in the name of Jesus. They cast out devils and all that. And Jesus said, I never knew them. You do have to start an account with the Lord. Now, you're saved, and I'm not going to get to this because I'm not keeping you no longer. I've saved the best for last, and this is where I really wanted to get, but you're saved because of the performance of God. Now, I'm going to give you very quickly, and then we're going right in the invitation. You've, been long, you've listened very well today. Here's why you can never lose your salvation. Scripture. And if you're writing, you can write these down, but I'm going to go through them quickly. Hebrews 2.2. 2. Philippians 1.6, which says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, which is another direct reference to the catching away of the saints. But when you get saved, there's a work that God performs on you. Now, I will turn to this verse because I want to show you the word. I'm not making the word up. In Colossians chapter 2, God says that He does a operation on you that is irreversible. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, when we get saved, we're buried with Him in baptism, figurative, spirit baptism. Again, I'll comment on it. I'm not going to pull it out in Scripture. Wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation. There's our word, the operation of God. God performs some things the moment you get saved. They're instantaneous. Number one, He circumcises you with the circumcision made without hands in verse 11 here in Colossians chapter 2. Everybody that uh, has got some age on them, you understand circumcision. Well, when you get saved spiritually, God cuts your flesh away from your soul because your body didn't get saved yet. Your flesh is not. It's going to be changed in the rapture. But if you die before the rapture, 
the body, the shell goes to the ground, but your soul and your spirit has been cut free by the operation of God, and it's free. It goes to heaven immediately. That was verse 11. You can't undo that. God did it. It's a spiritual thing, and you can't undo it. You cannot undo spiritual circumcision. Number two, you're spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. Not the physical one, but the spiritual one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, places you into the body of Christ. It cannot be undone. Number three, according to Colossians 1, verse 13, you are made a citizen of God's kingdom. That can't be undone. But then, and I skipped one, you're sealed until the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. I told you verse 12. It's verse 21 in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. So you're sealed. You can't undo that. God sealed it. He branded you. Everybody understands branding. But then your name, when you got saved, your name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. And that's in heaven. If you could lose your salvation, that means you've got to try to travel to heaven to get your name blotted out. And by the way, God don't make mistakes. That's another immutable thing about God. God never makes mistakes. He's not up there with whiteout trying to take your name out every time you sin and then write it back in in the blood of Jesus when you get saved again. It don't work like that. You have eternal life if you've been born again. So the question is, have you really truly been born again? Again, six, God's prepared a place for you. He couldn't promise that if you could lose it. If there was a chance you could lose it, why would he create a place for you when you might not get there? My favorite one. You've heard of the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're saved, you've got a reservation. It can't be undone. God's got a plate set for you. Boy, I'm glad. Hope he sets me near the ribs. We got a supper reservation. This is sound doctrine. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. He could not say that if you could lose it. And that's why I chose verse 12 in 2 Timothy 1, because God is who's keeping what I've committed unto him against that day. Let's all stand.